David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. Greetings. This is Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris. And I'm not David Spada, so I think that means I must be Elliot Harris. Somewhere out there in the world is David Spada probably working hard as an attorney. Does that sound about right? Or hardly working. Well, you know, I can hardly tell the difference when that, you know. But you're out of studio today. I'm in Wheaton. I'm looking for uh, David Duhazy's wife. Kimberly? Kimberly. Well, when you find her, would you bring her back so we can have her in studio one of these days? I will, but you got a lovely uh, model in studio today, I heard. Well, not in studio. Hopefully on the phone shortly. Joe Garcia, Playboy's gamer next door. And if she doesn't show up, we'll just show her pictures anyway. And a little Sounds video, good. rather than show your jealous. face or my face. I was getting jealous. I'm like, okay, you get Joe Garcia in studio, and i got to be in court. This isn't fair, but now What do you mean, not jealous. fair? <laughs> I, I did get to see her in person Wednesday night. She was doing a uh, PlayStation Vita video game promotion. And it's... I'm not much of a gamer, are you? Back in the day, I was, but I don't yeah, know. So was I, but now. it was Pong. I remember him and Pong, then we had in television, and then I remember my sister getting Nintendo, but that's the last. Now my kids have uh, one of those games, and I played it at bowling, and it's too realistic. Oh, games. like Wii? Yes, they have Wii, so uh, okay. you got to be careful with that. My little one broke the TV. She <laughs> shattered, shattered the LCD. That's an expensive game system. <laughs> exactly. Well... Why, as we wait for Joe Garcia, we might as well talk a, a little uh, football, possibly. We have the Super Bowl coming up. Can we say Super Bowl, or are you get in trouble for saying it? I don't know. Is that, is that, I don't know. You think uh, Roger Goodell and his minions are listening to us? <laughs> I laugh because I listen to commercials, and they keep saying, The big game? The big game, the big game. What do they care if you call it Super Bowl? You're promoting their product. I don't. I don't understand that. I mean, you know how that word got started is based upon Super Bowl. Well, I think it was Lamar Hunt named it. Well, the, the first Super Bowl wasn't even a Super Bowl. It was just the World Championship game between the American Football League and the National Football League. And I think it took about two or three of them before it even became, uh, under Pete Rozelle, the Super Bowl. The reason you don't we're, hear them we're say... We're getting so- an explanation now why... You, well, the reason you don't hear it is because the NFL has that trademarked. NFL has it trademarked. Okay. They have a lot of money tied to it. So if they're not getting a piece of the pie, you can't use that phrase. Okay. If for the, advertising purposes only. This is so for advertising purposes yeah. only. Uh, for so You could talk about the game, but you just can't put an ad mentioning Super Bowl. There you go. So you can say Super Bowl all you want, David. Oh, okay, that's good. For, for about the next 56 minutes. No. <laughs> anyway, let's talk a little Chicago Bears. They finally named a general manager, Phil Emery, coming from Kansas City. 
He's never been a general manager before. How confident are you that he's going to be able to do the job? When I was listening to the press conference, I didn't know if I was listening to Angelo or this new guy. I mean, it makes no sense here. I mean, you had a lot of talent out there. I was a big Bill Polian fan, and they hired this guy who doesn't impress me that much. He's talking about drafting Rex Grossman. Is is that an achievement? Uh it, it depends how low you set the bar for your standards. Now, I, I thought he was, he, at the introductory press conference Monday, I thought he sounded like Jerry Angelo with a little bit better speaking skills, but the same mentality, the same approach. Uh, maybe that's what Ted Phillips, who's the president of the Bears, goes after when he looks for a general manager. It, it boggles the mind. And then they fire Ruskell right away. I mean, I'm like, huh? Why well, fire Ruskell when you got rid of Angelo? Well, you, you want, I think, to have somebody as a bridge between the time Angelo gets fired and the time that they hired somebody. You don't, I don't think you want to be totally void of a person in that position or uh, filling. But you, don't, you only need a bridge when you're trying to go over water. There's no water to well, go Well, and the bears are going to be underwater if they're not careful. But, you know... It, at least they got rid of Ruskell quickly rather than drag this thing out and uh, and all. You know, I I guess that's the boldest move that the Bears the have. Makes, the only way it makes sense is if they have a deal in place where they're going to get Dwayne Bow as a package deal. Okay, uh, Kansas City brings Dwayne Bow. I don't Bowe think on. that's happening. You know what it would take to get Dwayne Bow? I don't know that the Bears have that package to give to Kansas City. I, I don't think the Chiefs are about to do it. Somebody who might be more available, I would think, would be Brandon Marshall in Miami. A former. I don't know. After that Pro Bowl, when he beat uh, Corey Graham, what four times? Well, get him on your side, right? Yeah, I mean, but Corey Graham's not going to be guarding him when he's playing for the Bears. He might have to go against some decent uh, cornerbacks, the Revises of the world, and they play the Jets, the Cromarties. I mean, there's some guys out there. Yeah, the Charles Woodson. But I think the comfort level for Jake Cutler, assuming Cutler comes back okay from his thumb injury. Uh, throwing to a familiar face, hands, whatever it is, you know, quarterbacks like to have that one go-to guy. You know, Earl Bennett is the go-to guy because Earl Bennett goes back to Cutler's days at Vanderbilt. But Earl Bennett's not going to be the game-breaker that the Bears need to, you know, for a 70-yard touchdown or or break a big play. Earl Bennett's a good possession receiver and and maybe a, a few more yards from that, but He's not the guy that's going to bust the big plays. You need two receivers. I mean, you have to draft one in the first round and then sign one, whether oh. it be uh, the guy down in New Orleans, Colston's out there, or Vincent Jackson. I mean, any of those guys are improvement over what the Bears have, and then get the guy from Notre Dame, Floyd. You don't buy into what Lovey Smith, that he's happy with his receivers? Yeah, he's happy. That's why Devin didn't see the field much the second half of the season. He was so happy with his receivers. Well, that's and it. you had that thought from Bogger. That's because of injuries, right? Not because, you know, Devin's not a number one type receiver. I don't know who, other than the folks that drank the most Bears Kool-Aid in history, would buy into the fact that Devin Hester was a number one or a number two receiver. He's a great return uh, performer. Beyond that, not so much. He couldn't play defense. He couldn't play cornerback because he couldn't figure out how to guard people, how to Basically, you go stride for stride with them. They tried him at running back in Miami. That didn't work. They tried him receiver. I mean, in Miami, that didn't work. There was no position for him. He's a returner. Yeah. And then if he loses the speed, he's no good as a returner. Yeah, but it still looks like he has his speed in his moves. I, 
the guy still is incredible. I think he'll go down in history as the greatest returner in NFL history, don't you? Oh, he is. I mean, definitely. I mean, a punting and kick returns, a guy who is unstoppable, but look at his third and fourth years. They moved their receiver, and they screwed up his punt and kick returning, and basically had two years of him doing nothing. Right. And then all of a sudden, years uh, five and six, he got back. But, again, he probably would have had 15 touchdowns if he would have been basically concentrating on doing one thing rather than trying to learn an offense. Seven, here, line up here, run here. And this is a coaching staff that gets praised for trying to do stuff like that, right? Gets contract extensions and all sorts of nonsense from upper management. I I don't quite understand why the Bears operate the way they do. Uh, All about money, being cheap. Yeah, you think Phil Emery's going to fire Levy Smith if he goes uh, 6-10 and next season and still loan $5 million? No. I mean, if he's six and ten, they're safe. If he's four and twelve, he'll probably get one of a choice. If he's five hundred or better, he'll get an extension. He'll be in the same situation in three, four years again. Well, if he's got two years left, he had a bad year. We got to give him another year. And you're left with a general manager who doesn't have general manager power, the type of power you you want a general manager to have, the guy who can call the shots and say, okay, this this is the people we're going to draft. These are the people we're going to trade for. These are the players we're going to get rid of. You know. If, it seems uh, the McCaskey family is so enamored of Lovey Smith, not saying he's a bad guy or anything like that, but th- there's an attachment there that seems to go beyond football, that seems to go beyond common sense. And as you say, if he gets another good year, he gets another contract extension, and then where are you? I mean, Al Davis was attached to Tom Flores, but that didn't stop him from firing him. And the guy went to Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, you know, Al Davis would fire just about anybody he wanted. Whenever he wanted, but that's Al Davis. I don't think you have the the McCaskey family in the same mold of an Al Davis. But I mean, his players he took care of, and, and the coaches they stuck around. I mean, just the head coaches he went through, like kind of like his white pants. Yeah. Oh well. Or our other guest, Bump Phillips. I mean, look at what he did down there in Houston. With when they were the Oilers before, before they moved to Tennessee. I, I miss this. I love those. Logos and the whole the, the big Derek or whatever it is, you know, the oil well. Yeah, I, it was classic stuff. But franchises move around. Speaking of which, there's a franchise in St. Louis, which has moved around. The Rams Where's it going next. Well, there's talk of it going back to Los Angeles, and I see where St. Louis uh, supposedly is coming up with a 120 million dollars to make stadium improvements to somehow keep the Rams from going back to Los Angeles where the Rams were once once upon a time? Does that will make this the Rams? Thing? Will they still be called the Rams or are they going to be named in the Los Angeles? I would think they would be the Rams, wouldn't you? I would assume so, but it makes no sense. I mean, what's going on? You think St. Louis would have been called the Cardinals and Arizona something else, but the San Antonio is messy. Yeah, it's, well, when you get around to franchises playing musical chairs, as solid as the NBA or the NFL may be, I don't think it's good for a league to have, you know, there's talk of the Vikings wanting to leave. And the great thing about Los Angeles being out there from a team perspective is they can use that as a threat. Oh, we're going to move here. Just like the White Sox in baseball used St. Petersburg long ago to, to get themselves a new stadium. And I'm not a big fan of professional franchises holding up cities to get them stadiums built and things like that. I think there's other ways 
that people can use, uh, governments can use their tax dollars. Now, the, the teams will come back and say, oh, but we generate X amount of income. Well, a lot of that is entertainment income. And if you didn't have a football team, you didn't have a baseball team, a basketball team, whatever it is, people would find different ways to spend some of that disposable income. It might not as be as much fun as going out and buying a jersey of your favorite player, but I, I don't think that money would evaporate. Do you? No, I mean, basically the money's there. The people would still spend the money, but again, the teams know they got these um, cities hostage and say, oh, we want the money. Why should we spend our own money if we get free money? I mean, if you could have someone buy your house for you, you could live in the house for free or cheap rent, you'll want to stay there. Yeah, if you know somebody like that, would you have them get in touch with me? I'd like a deal like that. I see people all the time doing this. They don't pay their mortgage for two or three years, and they stay in the house, and they go, what do you think? I said, it's a great deal. I wish I could do something like that. (laughs) And then they come back, and then they renegotiate the mortgage and get a lower payment. I'm like, this is nice. I said, boy, I must be too honest. Uh, An honest lawyer? Is that not a uh, contradiction in terms? No, I'm, that, like, I'm jump, kidding. Like, I'm kidding, shrimp. David. I'm sure like, there's at least four shrimp. or five of them out there. Exactly. Is that like jumbo shrimp? Exactly. Your, your basic oxymoron, is that what we call it? Yeah, that's, uh, it wasn't that good in English. <laughs> My kid was explaining Groundhog Day to me this morning. I didn't know all the rules and stuff, but I guess we've got six more weeks of winter. Well, you got the sunshine, the groundhog sees his shadow, it's Groundhog Day. You never see, did you ever see the movie Groundhog Day? I saw that movie when it came out, it was terrible, and I can't believe they said it's classic. What? That was a great movie. <laughs> I almost fell asleep. I go, is this thing ever gonna end? It just repeats itself and repeats itself. No, it was, I thought it was entertaining, but I don't get out much. So, that movie came out about 15 years ago. What about the news about Angelo Dundee passing away at 90? Well, that's a, you know, may he rest in peace, led a good life, had some phenomenal boxers that he worked with. I believe you probably had one of the last interviews with him when uh, you were at the Italian American Sports Hall of Fame recently. Does that sound right? Back in the end of October, I saw him there. I asked for an interview. They said, come back to the hotel. So I drove his publicist back. He was another car. He had me in his room talked to me for over 10 minutes and went through, in essence, his whole career. But I didn't realize all the fighters he had. I mean, I knew Ali, but... Well, every, every, everybody knows him for Ali. You know, that it, it doesn't get any better in boxing than to have trained Muhammad Ali. And, and he basically would give him those sayings. He didn't give him full like a butterfly sting like a bee, but he gave him the other sayings. He said Muhammad Ali was kind of shy, and he made him do it. He said he was the first boxer to basically... Market himself by talking because every other boxer just boxed. You didn't hear anything. He made Ali a media presence. I don't know. I remember back in the day when uh, Muhammad Ali was still Cassius Clay. He he didn't seem so uh, introverted or anything like that. I, I think he might have had a, a, a little inclination to being extroverted and uh, being able to market himself. But I'm sure it helped to have somebody as well versed in the world of boxing and marketing as Angelo Dundee in his corner. I mean, and then he got Sugar Ray Leonard, and he told that story about Sugar Ray with Hagler and Hearns, basically those fights. I, I forgot, it was a Hagler-Hearns fight. I think it was uh, Hearns made a comment to, uh, or to Leonard on the street about Leonard's wife saying, I'm going to beat you at the fight and take your wife. And that basically motivated Sugar Ray to win that fight. Uh, I have to imagine somewhere along the line, Angelo Dundee started out and had some pretty bad boxers along the way as well, but uh, 
he will be remembered for the great fighters that he was able to train and bring to the highest levels of that sport. I mean, because that sport's basically dead, and he basically said it's a pay-per-view killed it, and there's no local fighters. People don't want to watch two Russians fight each other or fight these other people. They want to see kind of like the Rocky Balboa type. Right. You, you want the club fighter, the feel-good story, and a lot of those guys end up going nowadays into mixed martial arts. So that siphons off a certain segment of the fighting populace that once upon a time would have been that tomato can or, or would have been that up-and-coming boxer who uh, rises to glory and fame. Yeah, because the problem is you don't make the money in boxing right away. you got to work your way up where, like you said, these guys go into MMA and make the money a lot quicker or go into football or some other sport and basically get millions at 21, 22, not have to wait till 25, 26. Or you got to be very lucky or uh, well bankrolled. There's the uh, a boxer from Wheaton went to Notre Dame, Mike Lee, who's being brought along very slowly. You know his competition not the greatest, but he has a a, a marketing deal now with Subway, and I'm I'm not quite sure how all that pay, played out. But that's another way to do it. You, you, if you have the financial backing to bring a guy along slowly. And the fact that he, Mike went to Notre Dame and uh, was able to have a pro fight there uh, in the fall, it, it has a certain cachet to it. And uh, at some point, if he fights somebody decent, it's able to, to handle him, uh, may catapult him to a higher level. Although I think Mike's uh, probably mid-20s about now. And the really good fighters by that age, usually have risen to the top or close to it. Who was the last great heavyweight? It was probably Tyson. I mean, that basically attracted all the attention and glory, and people. he basically became the villain who could knock off Mike Tyson. But, yeah. I mean, after that, I mean, you had Holyfield, but no yeah. one was like Tyson. Yeah, Tyson, Tyson, was, Tyson was that lightning rod, and uh, he, he was the guy that you, you wanted to get knocked out, and it just wasn't going to happen, was it? No, and then with Ali, with the whole Vietnam thing, if you were basically for the war, you wanted Ali to get knocked out because Ali was un-American, you felt. And basically, he was a lightning rod. All right. Well, I think we've probably exploited our boxing knowledge. (laughs) Exactly. So we'll take a brief break, and when we come back, if things work out the way we've planned, on the phone will be former Oakland Raiders coach Tom Flores. Stay tuned to Sports and Torts. (laughs) 